At the end of the famous musical, there's a less well-known verse of Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, sung after the death of Eva Perón. She sings, Don't cry for me, Argentina, for I am ordinary, unimportant, and undeserving of such attention, unless we all are. Ride on my train, O my people, and when it's your turn to die, you'll remember. They fired those cannons, sang lamentations, not just forever, for everybody. Maybe, just maybe, the greatest female figure in South American history was onto something. Or perhaps she was just a movie star on a political stage. Welcome to another episode of Blind History, and today we focus on Maria Eva Duarte. A lot of people have said that we don't feature enough women in history, and so we decided we'd look at one in the 20th century who made an enormous impact on her country. She's better known as Eva Perón, Evita, the wife of Argentine President Juan Perón and the First Lady of Argentina from 1946 until her death in 1952. She was born in poverty in a rural village in Los Taldos, which is in the Pampas, as the youngest of five kids. In 1934, at the age of 15, she moved to Buenos Aires to pursue a career as a stage, radio, and film actress. Now, she met there a man called Colonel Juan Perón in 1944, and she decided to immediately become his mistress. They were married the following year, and during six years of their marriage, she became so powerful within the pro-Peronist trade unions and in the Eva Perón Foundation, which she later established, that she pretty much was ready to run for vice president. The only problem was, during that time, she'd also developed cervical cancer, and she was very, very ill. So there are all kinds of stories about what happened to her body after Eva had died, but there was an elaborate funeral, which we'll talk about in a minute, and she became an icon in international popular culture. She was most famously the subject of the musical Evita by Andrew Lloyd Webber, and Cristina Alvarez Rodriguez, the first woman elected president of Argentina, claims that Evita never left the collective consciousness of the country. She claims that women of her generation owe a debt to Eva for her example of passion and combativeness. With me for this episode, as always, my co-host and the MD of Taylor Blinds and Shutters, no less than Anthony Medera. Hi, Ant. Very well, and you, Gareth? Yeah, good, man. What do you make of Eva Perón in the scale of how history is treated her and, and the kind of contribution she made to the world? Well, um, as a British Foreign Office internal member said in 1950, dangerous but very remarkable woman. I think that's how I would describe her. <laughs> Perfect. So, okay, what do, what do we know about the way she was raised in her early childhood and and the beginning of her life? Do you know some things there? Yeah, so she was obviously brought up in poverty, but her dad was a very well-to-do cattle farmer. And there's so many different rural settlements and small towns in Argentina. And this is just one of many. But unfortunately for Eva and her four other siblings, they were illegitimate. And the father went back to his first wife or his wife because their mother was never married to this gentleman. So she was brought up illegitimate and she tried to hide this fact most of her life. But I think that that played a big part in her psyche. And 
to such an extent that they weren't allowed to go to their dad's funeral when he passed away. Wow. They were allowed to just give their rights and say goodbye, but they weren't allowed to go to the funeral. So that shaped her. But she was a very, very strong woman and very, very ambitious, I think. And, and she really knew what she wanted. And if you can just think about it, at the age of 15, if you compare ourselves at the age of 15, she decided to go on her own to Buenos Aires, which is a massive city compared to this little town or development in the rural area, to go and try luck and see if she can find uh, success there. So very, very impressive and very brave. Well, in her autobiography, she actually explained that all the people from her town who had been to big cities described them as marvelous places where nothing was given but wealth. And so when she got there, it was all dazzle and dream. And she obviously did whatever she had to do. And you can read between the lines what that was. But she made friends with the uh, the local artistic community. She had an affair with a guy called Magaldi, who seems to have helped her climb to the top. And her sisters maintain that she traveled to Buenos Aires with their mother, but others say that she went with a man and then ended up being his mistress. But that, that wasn't a problem for her. She would do whatever she needed to do to get ahead. In modern terms, we would call her a hustler, right? Yeah, 100% correct. But she was brilliant. And the big thing was she wasn't uh, particularly talented, but she was extremely persistent. And she was probably one of the highest paid women in media at the age of 24. So it just shows whatever she did and however she hustled, she did a very, very good job. Well, by 1936, she was touring nationally with a theater company. She'd worked as a model. She was cast in a few B-grade movie melodramas. And she had a little bit of economic stability because she had a daily role in one of the radio dramas. So among other things, she had played a couple of roles by then. And she seemed ready to take the next step. She in 1942, was able to move into her apartment in the exclusive neighborhood of Recoleta. And the next year, she began her career in politics as one of the founders of the Argentine Radio Syndicate. Yeah, and I think this is at the time, or very close to the time, she actually met Juan Perón mm -hmm. uh, at, a, at a fundraising goal. And I think that's where, that was where the big stage came for forever. Yeah, she says she fell in love with him immediately. I think it was probably the other way around. I mean, she was an attractive woman. By today's standards, maybe not, because in the 1940s, there was a certain look which was kind of epitomized by the Marlena Dietrichs and the rest of them. And she bleached her hair blonde. Her natural color was actually dark. But um, she called that day that she met Juan her marvelous day. And uh, they apparently were at that gala until two in the morning, dancing and drinking and spending huge amounts of time with each other. And then after that, they basically became an item. She moved in with him, became his mistress, and the rest is kind of history. But that's the history we're interested in exploring. Yeah, I think that what he said, though, just on the other side of the coin, he said that Eva was pale, but when she spoke, her face seemed to catch fire. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think he was very, very taken by her. Yeah, I mean, she must have been an impressive person because, first of all, she had that desperation and that need to succeed that poor people often do when they see themselves given an opportunity to rise. But she also had acting. She had beauty. She had, you know, drama and talent. And she had this flair for that Argentine sort of that melodramatic stuff that we see in those telenovelas. I think that's kind of the person that she must have been. And he couldn't resist they announced that she would marry him, and they did get married eventually. And she also started a union of 
people in broadcasting and she was getting very political. So it suited her to be married to a guy who was also making some big moves in the government. She devoted a huge amount of time meeting with the poor Argentinians, visiting hospitals and orphanages. And, and she founded then, I think at that time, the Female Peronist Party, which is a yeah. political party just comprised of female voters. And I think what was important was that women didn't get the vote at the time, yeah. just prior to this. And I think she managed then to be at her fundamentally doing it or other reasons, but the women did get the vote during that time as well. Well, also it suited Juan Perón um, and it suited a lot of other people who were standing for election at that time to have women vote because she was so popular that she would have given them the votes. And um, Juan Perón actually was locked up for a little while. He was arrested and he was put in jail by a number of other officers and eventually released mostly under pressure from, you know, the public that Eva had rallied. And she worked with a a number of non-government organizations, but also some very political parties. And she had support from the descamisados, who were the workers and the poor, as you've already indicated. And they said at that stage that her popularity was already eclipsing that of the sitting president. And she managed to get 350,000 people gathered in front of what was called the Casa Rosada, which is Argentina's government house, to demand Juan Perón's release and their wish was granted. So a very powerful statement there of just how much clout she had. But she also, once again, and like so many of the people we've talked about in history, very, very charismatic, but also very clever. And, and she knew exactly what she wanted to do. Whenever in public with Juan, she would paint him as a saint and she would always be on at his side. But behind the scenes, she was powerful. She knew how to present Juan. She basically ruled his life. She actually ultimately was in control of the fortunes of Argentina behind the scenes. Well, it's no doubt that due to her, he won the 1946 presidential election. They won by a landslide. She campaigned heavily for him, even while he was in jail. And using her weekly radio show, she used to deliver speeches with lots of populism in it, stuff that today would never be allowed on the radio. And then once he became president, she decided it was about her. And she went on this European tour, which was very controversial. Yeah, the Rainbow Tour. I think that's what they termed it. She traveled to Spain, Italy, France, I think Switzerland. And then she was obviously destined to go to England as well. And Francisco Franco, the famous General Franco, received her with open arms. And interestingly enough, when she went to Italy to meet Pope Pius XII, she really believed she'd get something special from him for all the hard work she'd done in the past. And that's where you get a little bit of her fame whoring as some mm. people would term. And he basically just gave her a rosary, so her nose is a bit out of joint. And yes, she went to Paris, but then she wanted to stay at Buckingham Palace, and she wasn't allowed to. So she just said she was very, very tired, and she never, ever actually went to England. Yeah, she indicated that she wanted to go to England. The king, George VI, actually said, look, whether or not it's a state visit, I'm not going to have her stay at Buckingham Palace. And that kind of put her nose out of joint and she decided, fine, I'll just pretend I'm exhausted. But apparently in Switzerland, they threw stones at the car that she was in and cracked the windshield. And they also threw tomatoes. <laughs> they, they threw tomatoes at the guy who was driving with her and some of it splashed on her. And she decided after that, hell no, I'm going back to Argentina. Yeah, I think there was a lot of, obviously, the, the fascism that's uh, related to the way that they're politicking Nazi sympathetic, you know, 
she had her supporters, but also she definitely had her her detractors. And I think, you know, when you look at history and what happened to many of those vicious Nazi criminals, we hear that some of them popped up in Argentina. And Mm -hmm. it's at the time that Juan Perón was in power, and he certainly facilitated the escape of what we know of, Joseph Mengele. War criminals, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Joseph Mengele was frightening. He was the concentration camp doctor. Um, he conducted those hideous experiments on inmates. That's just scary. And then Adolf Eichmann was mm-hmm. one of the chief executors of Hitler's final solution. And then Klaus Barbie, the most notorious of them all, and he was a murderous Gestapo chief. And so those those are the ones that are known. So I can definitely see where the Peron administration would come under fire as well. Yeah, and she tried to say that it wasn't a political tour and that it was a goodwill tour and she was trying to get investment into Argentina and she promised the French lots of wheat and all kinds of other things. But essentially, her husband was so political that by definition, she was too. And I don't think she entirely hated that. But she didn't just go and visit and do all these public engagements. She also had very complicated hairstyles. She had this very expensive shopping list while she was there too. She went into all the Paris couturiers and bought fashion from Christian Dior, jewels from Cartier. And she started to really look like a bit of a princess. And and this impacted badly on her back home. So after that, once she'd returned back home, she read the, the tea leaves and decided, oh, better dress a little more conservatively. And she started looking more like a businesswoman. And uh, even though she dressed down, those were still made by Dior and other Paris couture houses. So she wanted to look nice, but she didn't want to blow the <laughs> blow the water out of the, the picture. Yeah, that's you probably know. why the French liked her so much. It wasn't yeah. uh, wasn't a political thing. I think she just spent a lot of money in Paris. So apparently she was quite controversial when it came to money, not just fashion. And there was the Eva Peron Foundation, which began with only 10,000 pesos that she gave kindly out of her own private money. But it grew to be quite a monster. She worked very, very long hours giving money, as you mentioned, and medicine to the poor, touching and kissing the sick. But, you know, Princess Diana springs to mind a little bit here. And then she's emphasizing with the plight of, as you'd mentioned earlier in the podcast, Des Camisados, which is the poor workers, and it literally means the shirtless ones. Funding of her foundation came from unions, taxes, and levies, and businesses that were pressured or forced to contribute money. So that's where we got a split between the poor working class that supported, definitely wholeheartedly supported Eva and Juan, but big business and the middle class and upper class didn't. You know, there was no support whatsoever, and the taxes were very heavy to support the poor. Yeah, I mean, as I said just now, she started with 10,000 meager pesos from her own money, but then it, it eventually ended up being an enormous foundation that had assets in excess of 3 billion pesos. And as you said, they even used to scalp the lottery. They'd force businesses to give money, but they did do a lot of good. They helped people with shoes, sewing machines, cooking pots. They built homes, hospitals, all kinds of other good things. She even built a place called Evita City which still exists today. And she worked, this woman worked, she worked 20 to 22 hours a day for the foundation, often ignoring her husband's request that she cut back. The more she worked, the more she adopted this attitude of outrage towards the existence of poverty, saying that it's unacceptable that people 
live this way. And she became almost like a Mother Teresa. And you mentioned Princess Diana. It's interesting. She kind of occupied the same space as being this outwardly saintly woman who obviously had, you know, massive motivation for doing what she did, but nonetheless was also gathering a nice little war chest of her own. What she didn't realize at the time, obviously, is that she was very, very ill. And I think all of this hard work, you know, she was traveling the whole country. She was meeting all these sick people all the time. And it exhausted her to the point where she didn't realize that she had cancer. Yeah, which was, I think, very, very sad because she passed away at the age of just 33, which is very, very young. Yeah, and before that, as indicated in the introduction, she did run for vice president for a little while and then realized after her illness was starting to become a major problem that she actually couldn't do it anymore. And they say that she was probably given a prefrontal lobotomy. This is not the first time we've encountered one of those in blind history in the last months of her life to relieve the pain, agitation, and anxiety that she suffered in the final months of her illness. But um, she was called spiritual leader of the nation. She was given the most incredible and elaborate funeral in Argentinian history. I mean, nearly three million people attended her funeral in the streets of Buenos Aires. The flowers were just, it would make Princess Diana look like a picnic. And Eva Perón ever since has been regarded as a saint by many Argentines. Perón, obviously himself, his career started to hit the skids after she died. They embalmed her, funnily enough, and they put her into a tomb in Argentina, in Buenos Aires. And then the biggest mystery is that the body disappeared. But I think, Gareth, that was definitely driven because there was a military coup, which is ironic because he came in not to power, but he came in behind um, a military coup you know, in the early 40s. So there was a military coup that overthrew Juan and he fled to Spain. And I think that it was definitely driven towards the incumbents getting rid of any sign of the power that she had. So they felt that if her body was still on display somewhere in, in Argentina, it would create havoc and they really wanted to have maximum control. So they kidnapped her body and apparently buried it somewhere in Milan. <laughs> and it was only much later it was found out but this is where it gets really, really weird. The corpse stayed in Milan until 1971, where it was disinterred and given to Juan Peron, who was in Madrid. And the body was damaged. And his third wife, Isabel, who, who actually became president when he died, brushed her hair, cleansed the body, and put her on display in their dining room. Which, oh, my God. Yeah, which I found offsides of it, but each to their own, I suppose. Good heavens. Well, she was eventually exhumed and, as you say, flown to Spain. She was put on display in the dining room, but they eventually sent her back to Argentina and put her in a crypt in the Duarte family tomb in the Recoleta Cemetery, which is still a place people visit. It's all under lock and key now, and they've pretty much made it as secure as possible. They've got a marble floor with a trap door that leads to a compartment containing two coffins. Under that compartment is a second trap door and a second compartment. And they say that this tomb is so secure it could withstand a nuclear attack. It's incredible, but she definitely had a massive influence. And if you look at Peronism throughout modern history, post Eva's passing away, I mean, the president today is a Peronist. There's been different... Um, uptakes of what it really means and the application of it but overall it's still very much what they very much believed in Joan and Eva well she's on the 100 peso note 
issued in 2012 and onwards. And um, the titles have been everything, as I said, from spiritual leader of the nation to her excellency, first lady of the nation. I mean, you couldn't wish to be more in a country like Argentina. She's regarded so highly, even so many years after her death. But there we go. Eva Peron, definitely not a boring woman and definitely not a weak woman and definitely not someone who, if she had lived longer, wouldn't have made an even bigger impact on the history books. Blind History is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. All the episodes are available on the cliffcentral.com website and app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Pope Francis, the current Pope, is a Peronist to the bitter end. He was a huge admirer in his youth of the dictator Jean Peron. And for over five years, all of Francis's most prominent lessons have been cautionary and political. But what came out of all of this was that he was supporting definitely the attempts to bridge the class divide. So he was 100% behind them, which is quite interesting to note that there was a link between our current Pope and Eva and Jean Peron.